everybody, I'm Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy. Welcome to my podcast. I tell you what, we have a special guest today. But before I get to the special guest, let me tell everybody how you can get, I have over 40, count them, 40, 40 episodes now with NRM Streamcast. You can go to nrmstreamcast.com. You can go to their, their app on their phone and you can search Motivational Cowboy and you can binge watch Motivational Cowboy for hours. It's so awesome. So I thank each and every one of you for, for sticking with me and having fun through this whole COVID thing. I appreciate you being on my podcast and hanging out with me, calling in the show at times. And uh, I got to tell you, the guest today, I've been working with this man for eight or nine years eight or nine years, and I I didn't know how special he really was until lately. I've been doing this homework on this guy, and he is incredible. And, um, you know, without further ado, please welcome my good friend, Mr. Rex Roy, in the studio with me right now. What is going on, buddy? Thank you, man, for having me. <laughs> I really appreciate you, Jenny. Hey, listen, we didn't have to lose our jobs for you to finally come in and do one of my podcasts. Well, I know, but you know what? You were doing this podcast before you lost your job. <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough for coming in here. Uh, you know, you started a brand new business because of all this. I did. But we're not going to talk about the business until the second episode. All right. Okay? Because you have such a cool story. I mean, you have been working in event marketing, um, uh, not not even uh, event marketing, but I get so excited just thinking about it. But you were even published for the first time at 19 years old. You've been around this business for a long time. Long time. And I actually started working full-time uh, summers yeah. when I was 14. So I had already been working for five years before <laughs> I got my first article published when I was 19. So you were going to school. I was going to school. And yeah. going to work. And going to work. Yeah, as, as a matter of fact, I used to get in trouble. Don't they have laws about that now? Uh, no, no. You can actually do it because at 14, you're legal to work. Okay. But I actually used to cut classes at the end of the day uh, as soon as I could drive. So when I was 16, yeah. to actually go down to my dad's company and work because they gave me a real job. Right, yeah. And I, I mean, even then I realized... Real jobs way more important than going to school. <laughs> I learn way more when I'm down there right. working with real people in the real world yeah. than I do in school. So what was your passion back then? Was it because I know you as a as a writer? Right. I mean, you've done some, you know, talks and speeches and, and programs for some of the biggest names out there. What was your first love? I mean Cars. It was cars. Cars. So um the agency where I worked was a was a Detroit ad agency, uh -huh. and they that company had the Chrysler account. Okay, and I was always into cars. You know, my dad would get a new car just like a lot of people did every couple of years. Right, and I can remember being six or seven years old. He'd get the new car, and I'd go out and I'd sit in it in the garage and I'd read the owner's manual. Oh, come and on, you were that guy. I was I was that guy. So <laughs> while other kids were looking at baseball cards, yeah. you know, and they would follow the Lions and stuff. I would memorize car stats. Wow. And the job I had when I was 16, I was actually at the agency what they called a product information specialist. So I was responsible for, you know, pulling together, aggregating all the product information on uh, the Chrysler cars and their competitors. And I would put spreadsheets together that they'd use, you know, for sales training or for, you know, for, for product catalog, stuff like that. In high school. In high school. So yeah. what was that like for you? Because there are, I'm sure that there's people out there watching right now 
that you're, you're teenagers, not knowing what you even want to do when you grow up, but you have a passion for something. Obviously, you had a passion. I had a passion. How was it for you being so young, but wanting and, and working with older people? Because I'm sure that these older men and women were like, you're 15 years old. Who do you think you are? Yeah. <laughs> so there's a, um, I, I was uh, the boss's son. Okay. And, and so in a sense, the people down there were stuck with me. <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> but on the, on the flip side, I really honestly cared, and I was good at it, and I am kind of a savant with, with stuff like that. Okay. Um, you know, it's not a terribly impressive savant-like quality to, you know, memorize car stats or whatever. But um, I, I cared, and those adults modeled for me something that, I've, that I have really continued to try to do in, in my entire life, yeah. which is... Those people knew more than I did, That's and right. I wanted to know what they knew. Amen. And I, I, I wanted to learn from them. And so I was absolutely, you know, not the bratty, you know, know-it-all kid, yeah. although I'm sure I was bratty sometimes. <laughs> but I, I was really that kid that wanted to learn. And these people showed me how, and I actually still run into people that I worked with when I was literally a kid. Wow. And they actually still talk to me. <laughs> Which that is so neat. I'm kind of surprised by, but I'm really grateful for. So, so you know, writing was something you loved. But um, then it 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 came after the product stuff. Okay. Because I knew the cars so well. Yeah. And I was in an ad agency. Well, what do you learn next? Well, I learned how to shoot cars. Right. And I learned how to shoot from professional photographers, and then I learned how to write from professional writers. They helped me develop that. Okay. So. You love taking photos, too. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Matter of fact, you love it so much that you don't know that I have this right now. But oh, I have, man. I have your book right here. There we go. I had it. Now, now they're not even out anymore. I think, I th I think you, they're we sold actually out. We sold out. Yeah, you sold out. Yeah. So I had to buy this on Amazon. Oh, my gosh. From somebody else. So I want to make sure that I get uh, an autograph on this. Absolutely. So, so tell me a little bit about this and this project. Because I didn't even know that that you were an author. So, that because I mean, it is filled with all kinds of there's like, some cool stuff in cool, there. Cool, cool stuff. And, and you took all all the photos and everything, right? I I did not. I oh, took, you didn't. I took most of them. Okay. Uh, there were two other photographers, uh, John Martin, who's a local guy who I have actually become friends with over the years, and uh, Bobby Alcott was another shooter that used to be local, and uh, he's now on the East Coast. And uh, those guys shot a number of chapters, but I shot about half of them myself. What was that like putting your, own, your first book together? Well, it's interesting. Kind of a parallel situation. So in 2004, I got laid off from another agency. <laughs> and I was looking for ways to reinvent myself. Yeah. And I pitched Motorbook Publishing on this idea for a book. Okay. And they bought it. And it ended up morphing into that project right it was actually going to be a business book on why the aztec the pontiac aztec yeah. failed <laughs> and gm said they were going to support me then they changed their mind and i had to quick come up with another idea that would sell that one that one worked and what was that like going to the different garages in the detroit metro area oh it was finding the these little hidden treasures you know the the car hobby is a really interesting hobby because it is um People seem to be really blind uh, to what you have. Right. I mean, 
I don't have a car collection. I was Never just going to ask you, do you collection. have a car collection? No, no. I mean, I, I drive a 2004 Lincoln LS. <laughs> you know, my car costs less than my Mac computer. But these guys were letting me into their multi-million dollar collections. Yeah. And to a person, they were the most down-to-earth and welcoming yeah. and pleasant folks. Um, it was it was it was it was terrific, and actually several of them I still keep in contact now. That's so uh, neat. Even though you know the book came out in two thousand seven, and half the garages don't exist anymore. You wow. know the collections have been sold. Yeah. Uh, even the Chrysler Museum out in Auburn Hills is closed now. Who would have thought that would have right closed exactly? Down? Um, but yeah, uh, guys sell their collections. The cars trade out, or guys move, or you know, divorces happen. Yeah, uh, and so that's really an interesting picture in time of Detroit in 2007. And now I'm sure there are 20 more very cool garages we could <laughs> right. take a look at. <laughs> so, so you've traveled all over the world too, doing doing your passion. So, because I wouldn't call it work. I wouldn't call your job a work, would you? Because they always say a man or a woman does not work a day in their life. It, if they love the, what they do. You know, I, I do love what I do. Yeah, I know and, you do. You know, writing is a ball. But I will tell you that when, uh, you know, my last job at Jack, it wasn't unusual to work a, a 70, 80, 90, or even 100-hour Right. <laughs> you do get really tired. Mm-hmm. But I had come off a career going into Jack Morton. I, I spent eight years as an automotive journalist, and that's when I did most of my traveling. Okay. And when you're a freelancer, so I had to sell every story. And, you know, I was, I was trying to do six, eight, ten features a month. So you're calling editors. You're, you're, you're trying to network. You're trying to get your pieces placed. Yeah. You're trying to find new content. And, man, it was a hustle. But it was a ball. So I saw a picture of you in a Bugatti. Yeah. And then I read, and, 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 and like, the, the tagline was uh, driving at 188 miles per hour. Is that true? Did, where, did you have that thing up to 188 miles per hour? Yeah, on a two-lane that was about as wide as a McDonald's drive through <laughs> Where was that at? So, yeah, tell me the story. There were, um, I kind of earned my chops with the folks at Bugatti because um, they brought a Bugatti Grand Sport, a Veyron Grand Sport, which is a convertible, okay. to the metro Detroit area. And because I was in a lot of different publications, they went, ah, We'll go to Rex, and Rex will get us in these publications. It'll be less work for us. So made that happen, did the story, and it, and it worked wonderfully. Right. And about a year later, they invited me to Spain <laughs> to be one of right around 30 people that got to drive the Super Sport. Wow. So the regular Bugatti had whatever it had, 1,000 horsepower. The Super Sport had 1,200 horsepower. The thing was an animal, you right. know, uh, 260-something miles an hour. It was crazy. And they uh, they put us up in this uh, Spanish uh, hunting lodge. And, you know, we're outside of uh, Seville. And it's beautiful, rolling, farming country. And we're there. They had three super sports. So that's like $10 million <laughs> worth of car. And they went, blue one's yours. Went, great, I'll take it. And... When you drive a Bugatti, you always have a chaperone. Okay. And so my chaperone... Now, why is that? Well, because the car is so powerful, um, and it is, it is, it's, you just need to be careful when you're driving it, because it's the kind of car that its performance could get away from you. Gotcha. And um, they just want to make sure that 
they've got somebody there watching their asset. I mean, you know, if I had something, a car that was worth $2 million, I'd want somebody to drive with it too, right? right? <laughs> and uh, my, um, my chaperone was a um, Le Mans driver uh, named Pierre-Henri Raffinel, and he was fantastic. <laughs> and we were there on the very, uh, we were the last wave of press. And so nobody had balled the car up. Uh, you know, nobody had crashed or bent a rim or even anything minor. Yeah. But Pierre gave us this talk and he said, if you go off road, it will cost a quarter of a million pounds and you would feel very badly. <laughs> it's like, ah, well, that's a good warning to know. And then he said, it's your turn to drive. And I, I promised him from the beginning, said, I'm a good student. I obey. Right. I will do as you tell me. Rex, if, if, if you don't mind me asking just sure. real quick, and, and for the listeners out there, I've never driven a Bugatti, and maybe you have or have not. Did you drive on the left side, just like a car here in the States, or was the steering wheel on the right side, no, if you don't this, mind me asking? Yeah. This car was for um, most normal markets, not like the U.K. or Australia okay, gotcha. or Japan. So. I was on the left side, so okay. that made it a lot easier. Okay, so you got behind the wheel. So got got behind the wheel. You fire the thing up, <laughs> and it's sixteen cylinders, four turbochargers, <laughs> and it actually sounds like a NASCAR idling at about fourteen hundred revs. Wow! Ah, it was it was awesome sound, and you take off. It's got a uh, a Ricardo racing sequential gearbox. Okay, and so you hear the engine, and then you hear the whine of the pump for the hydraulics and the gearbox, and it's just it's it's fantastic. And you drive away, and it's not a big deal. It's an automatic. Yeah. So it's really it's not a big deal, and you drive around, and the car's got fantastic grip. It's all wheel drive, and it's really not a big deal. And we were on roads that were pretty much empty, and we just we had a ball. Yeah. And after ah, a couple hours of really hard driving, uh, Pierre looked at me and he said, would you like to drive very fast? <laughs> sure. <laughs> and uh, there is a series of things that you have to do, a, a key, a special key that you have to turn and a button that actually uncorks all the horsepower in the car. Okay. And so we went through that. And uh, he so you pull over to do all that, right? Or no, while you're driving? I don't I, know. It was it was easy enough to do because it's right on the driver's okay. left hand side. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't a big deal. I know it sounds crazy. I just never driven no, no, a Bugatti, no. oh, so I want to make sure course. I get the story right. And I hope I'm remembering it right. You know, <laughs> if I got it wrong, don't sue me. I'm sorry. <laughs> so we get the thing set. We got all the juice ready to go, and we are on this. Uh, we come over the crest of a hill. And it's this straight two-lane, for as far as I can see, it had to be three or four miles. Right. Smooth, blacktop. Only problem is about half a mile up, I see a truck on my side. Yeah. Didn't seem to bother Pierre-Henri. <laughs> so I said, you tell me what to do, and I will follow your instructions exactly. Yeah. He said, floor it. Went, cool. Pedal went down. <laughs> and when you floor... A super sport at 80 miles an hour, it's like launching from a light in a, you know, a Challenger Hellcat. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're back in the seat. And the car is just rocketing. And I'm coming up on that truck really fast. And I realize I'm coming up on it. It's a fruit truck. And they're like lemons or something in the background. <laughs> we go blowing by that guy. Had to be doing 140. I mean, we could have reached out and clicked his, wind, his uh, mirror or something right. going by. And Pierre-Henri just kept saying, Floor it, floor it, floor it, floor it, floor it. 
and I didn't realize he he knew that I wanted to hit 300 kilometers an hour. Uh -huh. So Pierre Henri is watching the road and watching the speedometer, and I'm I'm glued to the horizon. And at some point, he says, "Break, break, break, break." And I followed his instructions yeah. and uh, lived to tell about it. So let me ask you this. I've often asked during interviews with NASCAR drivers, can you tell the difference between going fast and holy cow, I'm going fast? Did you ever feel like you were going 188 miles per hour in a Bugatti? Because obviously you were probably so focused on the wheel that you weren't looking at you know, any of the instruments. Well, I wasn't looking at the instruments this time, but... <laughs> One of the things I did uh, back in the early 90s, I had an opportunity to do a race called the Nevada Silver State. Okay. So Which the, is? Well, it's a 90-mile open road race, and the sheriffs in three different counties close this one road. It's uh, Highway 318. Right. And they close it for 100 miles. No cross traffic. Okay. And then they let cars go, and it's, a, it's essentially a one-stage time-speed-distance rally. Wow. And uh, there are cars in the unlimited class that get to go as fast as they want, but I was driving a 94 Corvette ZR1. Oh, my nice. speed was limited to 140 miles an hour. Okay. And so my goal was to drive 90 miles and average 140 miles an hour. I will tell you, by the time you get done driving 90 miles at 140 miles an hour, right. it feels like you're riding a, you know, a bicycle. Right, right. Uh, you have all of that sense of speed. Your brain is acclimated, and uh, it wasn't a big deal. The Bugatti was kind of the same way. I had been driving high-performance yeah, cars for years. Yeah, because that's 48 miles per hour faster than the Corvette oh, yeah. at the time. Yeah. I, but it, it So just, it just felt good. It, it, it felt really good. But there was a certain security in the Bugatti. At about 150? Yeah. Um, the active aerodynamics on the car really come into play. So the car lowers itself on the suspension, wow. and then the wing and the air dam um, actually create more downforce, and it kind of felt like Zeus was pressing down on the car. I mean, the steering really stiffened up, noticeably stiffened yeah. up, and it went, ah, car's taking care of me. This is pretty nice. So Bugatti, Corvettes. Yep. What's... What are some of the other cars you've gotten to drive throughout the years of oh you being a journalist? Oh, um, I know I put you on the spot and didn't because you did ask. Yeah, no, that's those, right. Those of you that, that want to know if this is, you know, did I give him all these questions before he came in the studio? And no, the answer is absolutely not. <laughs> no, that's all right. Well, let's see. You know, since since we're going for uh, uh, for kind of shock value, I got to drive a... Um, an Audi R8 V10 oh, wow. Spider at Le Mans. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I got to drive a 458 Italia. Got to drive a Lamborghini Gallardo. Wow. Um, all, all versions of Corvettes. I got to drive the, the, the newer, well, the C7. Actually, gosh, no, it was that long ago. It was a C6, Z06, and ZR1. No kidding. Uh, so all, all that kind of fun stuff. What has been one of the your biggest accomplishments so far? You've been doing this 38 years. Yeah. 38 years. Yeah. I mean, we don't, at least I don't feel as old as I am. And when I look back and how much I've accomplished, I forget about half the stuff. I mean, you made me start realizing some stuff lately. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've done that. And I've done that. And I've done that. So you kind of forget What's one of your biggest accomplishments? And I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking. It could be the, the smallest thing or the biggest thing. Um, but for you, when you look back on your career as you are like right now, 
What's one thing that sticks out? Because I know as soon as you leave, you're going to be like, oh, I should have said this or I should have said that. Yeah. But why, why you're sitting here live on the air with me now, what's one thing that you can be like, you know, this was pretty cool? You know, I don't want to be sappy, but I'm going to be sappy. <laughs> the fact is that I'm still married after 38 years. And that I knew you were going to say this with you? your two daughters. Yeah, I knew you were going to say your family <laughs> and and my two girls actually like me. Yeah, it's like I, I didn't grow up in a house where, you know, that kind of long term family thing was really important. Yeah. And so that's really my biggest, I guess, both surprise and accomplishment or surprise accomplishment. Yeah. On the on the on the business side, you know. I ran my own marketing services agency for a while. Mm-hmm. I even had a dino shop, you know, really? a shop for a while. Yeah. So, so are you a car guy? Oh, I'm still a car guy. No, I mean, like, really, like, I mean, do you get your hands dirty? Not as dirty as a lot of people, but I mean, I still, I mean, I, I probably have more head knowledge than hand skill. Okay. But no, I've, I mean, I put headers on cars and carburetors on. Well, that's cars more than I do because being being in my business, people often say, "Oh, you know, you're you're around NASCAR, you're around drag racing, you're around IndyCar, you're around all these, you know, sports or motorsport stuff." Are you in the cars? And I'm like, no, I got yeah. a brand new Silverado, and there's a re- reason why I have a brand yeah. new Silverado because I don't want to do no work to it. <laughs> well, it's funny. So, one of the things I had one one of the cars I had early on, I had a Dodge. Colt station wagon. Okay. And that wasn't actually a, a Dodge. It was branded a Dodge, but it was actually a Mitsubishi. Okay. And um, I couldn't stand having a slow car, and my dad got it for me because it was slow, so I wouldn't get into trouble. Right. Uh, you know, nobody paid attention to what was coming in the mail back then, and I had a hooker header shipped. I bought twin Makuni side draft carburetors. You know, I got a sway bar from Adco. Yeah. All of a sudden, a set of Goodrich Comp TAs show up, and all of a sudden, I'm building this goofy Dodge station wagon <laughs> to be this total sleeper rocket. Right. And so these uh, uh, Makuni carbs that I put on, you would have to tune them all the time. And... Uh, I still remember how you how you do that. And you'd actually stick your head in between the two carburetors, and you'd do the throttle linkage. And when you got stereo, you knew they were opening right. <laughs> and so, yeah, I can do some hands-on stuff, but not like a lot of you guys. You know, you have been involved, and in it, in it, like literally we, we're done in like three minutes, three, four minutes. But one of the biggest projects, or at least I think it's one of the biggest projects, maybe it's because I'm from the Detroit area as well, but you were part of the team um, designing GM World. Oh, that was a Down, ball. Downtown. That was a ball. At the GM headquarters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so going down there, I get chills just thinking about GM World. What was that like for you to be part of the team that put that together that you know that people from all over the world yeah. get to see? Yeah, it was It was. I mean, it's just it's so cool. It was really neat. Uh, the company that I used to f- work for, Jack Morton, yeah. great company, super talented people. Yeah. Um, you know, people that knew and still do. They know how to get stuff done. Right, yeah. And so we were awarded that business after GM World was finished. Okay. And our challenge was to go in and truly make it better. And so I had some ideas on how to make it better, and they were it – was, it was an uphill slog. Yeah. But we made it happen, and, and, it was, and it was great. We had a ball. We put in new displays. We made the existing displays work much, much better. And there's something just so satisfying because I'd go to meetings all the time in the Ren Center. Right. <laughs> and I'd always stop to watch the people interacting with the display. Yeah. And it's like, huh, that really did work. Yeah. You know, and that, and that was a really satisfying feeling. I got, I got like literally a couple minutes, but you've written so many 
talks mm -hmm. or speeches, mm -hmm. uh, programs yeah. for people like me that, I mean, you didn't write for me, but you, I mean, for people like me that get up and talk and they read your speeches, what's it like for you oh, as a writer to yeah. listen to your words being said through somebody else's mouth? I've always wanted to ask a writer that. You try to make it so that the other person isn't saying your words, they're saying their own and words. And I get that because you yeah. have to get to know that person very well. Yeah. Whoever that may be. Yeah. So that's part of the ha half the battle, isn't it? Is getting to know them and writing for that particular person. Part of being a good writer, you have to be able to assume somebody else's voice. Yeah, and always tell a great story. You got to try. You always have to talk about that story. Yeah. So, so, but, but just to sit back and, and, and watch your stuff or hear your stuff. Do you still have one of your first or second um, articles that you ever wrote? You know what? I've actually looked, and I don't, but I have a really funny story. One of the first pieces I got published in a magazine, Yeah, I was so excited about it. And, you know, I'm a newlywed, yeah. and my wife and I were actually going to the farmer's market in Ann Arbor. If anybody out in Ann Arbor <laughs> knows the Carytown market, it was there a long time ago, too. And uh, my story had just come out. We bought zucchini wrapped in the magazine that my first story was in. And wow. if that's not a humbling experience, wow. it was like, you know? <laughs> Life has a really interesting way of uh, showing you what's important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rex, can you believe, I, I told you that the, that the first 25 minutes was going to go fast. I told you that the first episode was going to go fast. And we didn't talk about hardly anything that is on my piece of paper. That's how good and talented you are. And I cannot wait to come back if you have time, I do. stick around for another episode because we're going to talk about your brand new project right. and your brand new business. Thank you. Well, hey, everybody, I'm Johnny D., the Motivational Cowboy. We will be back in just a couple of minutes with Mr. Rex Roy and talk about his brand new business. Again, I'm Johnny D., the Motivational Cowboy, telling you, be safe, have fun, and have yourselves an outstanding day.